Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. For this episode, I have a well-respected functional medicine provider who knows a thing or 300 about fasting, gut health, nutrition. Dr. Will Cole is delightful, engaging, and really smart. Check out the show notes for the books he's authored, his bio, and all the things he recommends. You'll get to meet him right after this. Let me take a moment to feature one of our sponsors, longtime sponsor, Ralston Family Farms. And now I get to brag to you about their rice grits. It's an outstanding product. How do I know this? Because guys, I'm a customer. These are rice grits from their farm, which means it is not a GMO product, which is unique for rice growers. This is a quick cooking product. It's premium milled rice and put in the roller mill, which makes it a superior product for your family. Recipes for the rice grits can be found along with other recipes on their site, which is RalstonFamilyFarms.com. In fact, the Ralstons, the folks who have been farming for 10 generations, who have regenerative farming practices, they want to give you a listener to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast, a three-pack of the rice grits and a recipe card. That, of course, goes to a lucky listener who emails me, offer at lisafishersaid.com, and then in the subject line, enter the word grits, and you'll be in the drawing. The giveaway ends June 30th, 2022. But go to their website and see the retailers for Ralston Family Farms Rice and all the products they offer. It's not just rice grits. RalstonFamilyFarms.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, folks, here we go. We're going to talk, surprisingly, we're going to talk health, we're going to talk fasting, we're going to talk functional medicine, all the things that make my tail wag with Dr. Will Cole. And first, tell me, how what got you interested in the functional medicine approach? Because I think you're an early adopter of that philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers over 12 years ago at this point. So I wow. was uh, doing telehealth my entire career, doing functional medicine my entire career, just because it's just I've always been fascinated with science, but also fascinated with health and wellness. And the sort of amalgamation of both is something that I'm passionate about. And functional medicine was the best way that it resonated with what I was passionate about, basically. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been a long time, but I, I love it. I, I'm immersed in cases 11 hours a day and it never gets old. And it, I just love looking at labs and getting people healthy. And it's what I get to do every day. So you're a nerd. I mean, you're just, I am like you're, you're, the, you're a talkative, likable nerd. <laughs> I'm at like the epitomization of nerd. Um, okay. Let's talk about, so in your heart as a functional medicine provider, like what's the thing that makes it beat the fastest? Is it the fact that, you know, you can help women navigate the menopause roller coaster, which if you are taking care of yourself is not that bad. I can tell you from experience. Um, is it your love for fasting? Like what are you, where, where is it that your heartbeat is? It's all of that. Those are to me, there's this beautiful duality of what I get to do. There's the science and, and the art of it. And that is what lights me up the most. It's, it's holding both and being, being comfortable and confident in both is like seeing the latest research in science and seeing the amazing things of how to apply clinical nutrition and wellness and, and data into somebody's life. But then the art of it is being able to manifest that in somebody's life so they enjoy it and love it and they want to keep doing it and they want to see it through and that there's this beautiful art piece that they get to build like their their life is this beautiful art piece so that's what lights me up the most and that all of those tools like you said of fasting and food and labs and biohacking all these things to me are like the colors that we get to wield within somebody's life so that's really what it is and the labs don't lie when you see the labs improving it really speaks for themselves so your approach, though, is including lab work, but you don't write medicines, which I love. And it's maybe that the state of Pennsylvania won't let you, but I think it's a great approach. Is it because you're they won't let you in the state of Pennsylvania or is it because well, that's really your approach? 
Yeah, it's it's mainly because we're in telehealth. Now, I coordinate with local doctors. So we have patients in all around the country. So if there are their local PCP, their local GP or their local endocrinologist, we will integrate with them. In other awesome. words, for functional medicine is integrated medicine. So if somebody has to be on medications for whatever reason, we're not replacing their local doctor. We're in telehealth, but we're providing a functional medicine perspective on this and supporting them and guiding them, making their lab, making sure they have the guidance and the insight that they need to get them healthy and to deal with these issues at the root cause. So we're not anti-medication. We just ask the question, what's your most effective option that causes you the least amount of side effects? So if a medication right. fits that criteria, then cool. Like many people need to be on them or they're a piece of the puzzle. They're a tool within the toolbox. But the problem is, and you know this, like oftentimes medications don't fit that criteria. They aren't the most effective option that but that's the only option that they're given. So for me to be a, a resource for people to say, hey, look, like there are other options out here. I want you to have the choice, the freedom, the ability, the agency over your body, novel idea to say, okay, yeah, I want this option. No, I don't want that option. And just know what options they have. I love it. So yeah. that's really what it's about. So what got you involved then in the fasting? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, I mean, it's a religion for some, you know, but it is, <laughs> it is my, my, the way I face every day. What got you interested in fasting? What's something that's been a part of my life for a long time. I think I go back to being a health nerd and I was a teenager actually. And I worked at the uh, finish line at the, at the mall <laughs> and I used to, and I used to pay, I used to get, use my paychecks to go to the health food store to buy the GNC. random supplement. There was a GNC oh. in your mall. Uh, Oh, absolutely. GNC, yeah. totally. <laughs> there was an independent health food store. I have to give Nature's Way a shout out. <laughs> They're still open Funny. today. And I used to go and be the 16, 17 year old kid, like really interested. So I read a book at that time called Patient Heal Thyself from written by Jordan Rubin, if you know anything yes. about him. He's gone on to do a lot of amazing yes. things. And now he's my friend. So it's really cool to see us. Yeah, it's full circle. And I tell awesome. him this. He's like, wow, you make me feel really old. Because as a teenager, <laughs> I, I was reading this book. It was before, it was the self-published book too. It was before it was even, he had a publisher. And he talked about fasting and autoimmunity. And it really was that, that really narrowed into things like that. So yeah, I've been fasting since I was like 16 years old and in, in the, like a long time ago. So, That's before um, it was cool. Oh, tell everything I did was, it was not cool. It was just, I wasn't even thinking about being cool. I just was doing these things that were interesting to me and I wanted to see what it could yield me. So I was experimenting on myself as a kid and I would be the kid with the random fruits and vegetables and I just eat like <laughs> a bell pepper and just chew on it. And they'd be like, what the heck are oh you doing? Oh my gosh, that's but hilarious. Yeah, so then that evolved, right? And now I get to be formally trained in this stuff. But um yeah. So I've always fasted in my own life. I've always intermittent fasted. And, and then I integrated it in my patients for the past 12 plus years. We've integrated fasting uh, on a clinical level. So to see the needle moving power that this has in all its different iterations, there's so, so many different types of fasting, but they all have their place. Well, let's talk about the different types. So intermittent, obviously, is exactly what it is. You, you fast and then you eat and then you fast maybe the next day. Do you... Yeah ever prescribed? Do you love the longer fast, extended fasting? Do you like the 5-2? What are, what are your favorites? So I think that that's the, the science and the art again. You get to see the amazing research around different types of fasting, and it's an evolving science. Like there's so many new studies coming out every year, but really applying the cutting edge science of, in this case, fasting, but uh, in somebody's life. So it's just because you read about something online or hear it on a podcast doesn't mean that that's the right exact right way for you. Right. One of the major hearts of functional medicine is bioindividuality. So it's really looking at we're all different. We all have different preferences. We all have different health goals. We all have different labs and a lot of variables to consider. So what may be great, even if it's a healthy thing in theory, may not be right for you at this point in your journey. And that's the other thing too, like what serves you today isn't necessarily a tool that you're going to use in the exact same way forever and ever. So uh, it's, I do everything from very light, moderate, time compressed feeding or time restricted feeding to deeper 
time compressed feeding like OMAD or almost like flexible OMAD approaches one meal a day to uh, multiple day water fast where we're clinically monitoring people. I just came off of a four day uh, water fast with my team and I, and we do integrate it in patients' lives too. So there's everything in between. And that's the beautiful side of this is that there's, there's really something for everybody. Because you're metabolically flexible, a four-day water fast didn't put you six feet under pushing daisies. You know, you didn't die. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. And I wouldn't recommend that to any old person that's just like hearing this. But when, when it's clinically appropriate, when you're metabolically flexible, and that's the, the analogy that I used in my newest book, it, it's, it's called intuitive fasting. And that's really the heart of my work. It's intuitively checking in with your body and seeing what's right for you. That metabolic flexibility, like you just said, that is like this proverbial yoga for your metabolism. If you've never done yoga before and you go to some advanced class and doing some, what the heck, how are they moving their body like that? That's too much too soon. That's a water fast. That's like, that's for more advanced fasters. But that's why I think time compressed feeding or time restricted feeding is a great tool because it is the beginning to moderate forms of yoga for your metabolism to become more flexible. Did you do labs then before your four day water fast and then after? Like, were you measuring something? I wasn't running labs in myself. I do for patients and we're tracking data all the time. We have spreadsheets. We're super nerds. And it's funny, our top <laughs> patient base, and I don't know if like this is like the reason why or not, but my top patient base are nurses, doctors, engineers, and school teachers. And they all have this common love of spreadsheets and data and yeah. nerds. And mm -hmm. I think it's interesting mm -hmm. just like track the data anyways. But uh, I love tracking data. But for myself, I really wasn't doing it for that purpose. I didn't even have a reason why. I just wanted to experiment again because I love doing this. And just I hadn't done a water fast them for multiple days in a while. And I tr what I, one data point that I tracked was carbon dioxide data on my lumen. Have yeah. you ever done mm -hmm. the lumen? No, I haven't so like, done it. Okay, yeah. So I did track that and I was in fat burning uh, metabolic flexibility mode the, the entire time. Um, and it measures carbon dioxide. So if carbon dioxide is higher, it would be indicative of you burning mainly carbohydrates or being a sugar burner. And if carbon dioxide was low, it would be more equivalent to a fat burning state. So I did do that uh, and track that data. Do you think, because uh, I've wondered about getting the lumen, because I've done a CGM and I want to do another CGM now that I'm finishing Glucose Revolution by the Glucose Goddess. And she talks about stacking her meals. Have you looked into all that, the stacking yes, the I, meals? Yes, I am. Yeah, I am familiar with her work. She's doing great things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think Casey Means, Dr. Casey Means is a good friend of mine. She's at Levels. She's doing great mm -hmm. things too. And yeah. I have a Level CGM. I just didn't measure it over the course of the time. But another great data point in real time for you to be your own end of one experiment or yeah. doing whatever you're doing. Yeah. Well, that's kind of Dr. Bert Herring who wrote Fast Five. You know, he was kind of an early adopter of medical professionals yeah. authoring books on fasting and they thought he was crazy. And it's probably about the time Dr. Michael Mosley did for the BBC in 2012, maybe 10 years ago. But Dr. Uh, Bert Herring's always been the study of one of how does it work for you? And that's that I think is the challenging part for anyone who listens to my podcast. So many episodes are about fasting and people say, well, it didn't work for me because I couldn't do 19 and five or I couldn't do 20 and four. Mm -hmm. or I could, and it's, it's the, it's what you're saying. It's, it's a good starting point for time restricted feeding or eating, but it is tweaking it. I mean, tweaking it and tweaking it until it's right for you. So how do you encourage someone who comes to you and says, well, it's just not working. I, I get too hungry or I have migraines or, mm -hmm. and, and people have a myriad excuses and they're mm -hmm. legitimate because it's their, it's what's keeping them from finishing well. Mm -hmm. How do you have them overcome that? Yeah. Well, to me, I, I think it's kind of like saying that yoga isn't for somebody or working out isn't for somebody like someone saying, well, the gym's not for me or working out's not for yeah. me. That's yeah. kind of a similar thing. It's like, well, no, you're just doing the wrong workout for your body where you're at right now. And it's just like, it's, it's a lot more nuanced, just like the gym and working out and yoga has a lot of different modifications and tools within that modality. The same way with fasting is that you cannot be so make blanket statements about that. This is really what I yeah. do for a living to look at the, all the ways you can tailor this to the individual, start off low and slow and then titrate from there. And may, yeah, maybe OMAD wasn't right for you, but that you can't throw, you know, the saying, babe, 
throw the baby out with the bathwater and assume that the entire thing is just like not for you. No, you just have to find the right type of fasting is the right type of fasting that works for you and you can stay consistent with and you actually enjoy because I see a lot of times people too, they're abusing an amazing tool. Like just like people can abuse working out and they they like we're always working out. They're always running. They're always taking up really wear and tearing their body down. That doesn't make the workout bad. It's just they're they're kind of not using it in a way that's good for them sustainably. Same with fasting. Fasting can be used for amazing things or it can be abused. Well, that's a good segue, Dr. Cole, then about exercise. I think we have, well, those of us in, in my health community, I'm not saying everybody's, but we're kind of seeing exercise. We don't have to be on a treadmill five days a week because as I tell my clients, there are a lot of fat people on the treadmill if they're not addressing their insulin resistance. So kind of what's your philosophy now? Because, you know, exercise, it's a bit of metamorphosis of you had to run a marathon. And now we're saying, no, really, you just need sunlight in the morning and some grounding shoes and, you know, to walk for 10 minutes. So where are you on the whole exercise paradigm? Yeah, I think that goes back to the bioindividuality too. It's like, what are your goals? What is your baseline? Where do you want to go? And then lean into it from there. So I think you're absolutely right in the sense that we make, we do such a hyper focus in our culture. And hopefully I agree with you in some ways we are coming out of it that it's all about the workout. It's all about what we're doing in those 30 minutes or 50 minutes, 60 minutes. But what are we doing the other 23 hours in the day? And we need to make our life very conducive to movement whenever we can. And I would much rather someone to be make doing little micro movements throughout the day, getting outside in nature or going on a walk during lunch and doing 15 minutes peppered throughout the day versus being sedentary their entire waking hours and working out for 30 minutes. Like that's just, it's just, we need to stop over the glorification of the workout versus just move your body and be consistent with it. And the workouts can be amongst the week as, as added movements, but we cannot be so sedentary and expect that the workouts alone are going to be the needle mover for, for you. Yeah, because I think that the statistic was like gym membership was increasing, but so is obesity. So we realized, you know, we're all looking for the golden ticket. And yeah. now I think with Dr. Bickman's book, Why We Get Sick, we're seeing that it, you know, insulin resistance has so much to do with every day of our lives that that, yeah. you know, if we could address that, what's your opinion then on uh, his research, which I know you would agree is fascinating, uh, Dr. Ben Bickman? Yeah, well, I completely congruent with what we do in functional medicine. And I would say as well, like we cannot, we cannot okay, train or work our way out of a poor diet. And I think that that people have to realize that they're both sides of the same coin and we need to really pair both. And I see for some people, the food is a major component of it. For some people, working out is a major component of it. But the pie chart's going to be different for different people, but they're both important, right? Uh, and the research is really clear on that. So I think that um, what I, but I would say for most of my patients, we at least start with food because food's going to give you the more energy, give yeah. you more energy to want to work out more. When you're fatigued yeah. and inflamed, you don't really feel like you want to work out. But when you have energy, man, you want to work out. You're a lot more compelled to want to work out. You have the energy to give. Your bandwidth has increased. So we usually start with food. And then from there, you have a lot more to give to the world and that includes working out, but also more to give to whatever you're created for, like to be the best version of yourself. So food is a very subjective, you know, a component of somebody's life. Somebody who doesn't eat this or won't eat this, but aren't we now all saying everyone needs to throw out the uh, industrial seed oils, like mm -hmm. without a doubt, because um, that's hijacked our, our immune system. I mean, everything. I mean, there's just so many bad things about it, but what's your approach then on somebody? Cause I, I don't know. I, the older I get, I'm pro beef. I'm pro cow. I'm pro <laughs> women and protein, but there's still, I, I saw Kim Kardashian the other day on an ad for eating something called beyond meat or something, mm -hmm. which is, she might as well eat a plastic bottle. I mean, it was crap, but because the Kardashians push that way of life, then people think, well, I have to be a vegan. How do you kind of navigate that? Yeah. 
Look, there's a lot of money involved in those sort of businesses, too. They have a lot of money to give to have Kim Kardashian chew on a Beyond Burger. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever it is, I mean, whatever vegan is. But you know what? And then her, I'm sure her health will evolve over time, too. And she'll she'll learn over time that things are going to be just because something's better than the standard American diet doesn't necessarily mean it's optimal. And I think that that's. A bigger, you know, we we over glorify people, celebrities too, and I think we need to yes. do what right for ourselves and quit comparing yes. ourselves to other people, whether that be the influencer on Instagram or, or a, a celebrity. So the um, my my thought is about food. Oh yeah, that's my thoughts. Yes, there are some things, but I call the inflammatory core four is top of that list is industrial seed oils, which those a lot of those vegan burgers are filled with. So yes. canola oil, vegetable oil, soybean oil, uh, and seed oils, right? So those are pro-inflammatory. So decreasing those or eliminating them would be ideal. Number one. Number two would be gluten-containing grains. You can get better versions of these. I have a nuanced opinion about all of these things except industrial seed oils because there are better versions like ancient grains and sourdough and things like that but for the sake of simplicity let's just say gluten-containing grains third uh would be conventional dairy again nuanced opinion you can get a2 milk and fermented grass-fed organic all that stuff but many people are not having the good stuff and they're having the junk stuff and then number four would be added sugar which most people are going to get behind you on that. I guess maybe some people are going to argue about anything, but I would say added sugar is is something that people need to look at and be aware of even the nice sounding euphemisms for sugar because most people know added sugar is not good, but their labels are misleading because they don't really know what's on the label and they see things like agave nectar, agave syrup, and it sounds so natural, but it's still fructose and they're if they're having copious amounts of that throughout the day, it's going to spike their insulin and blood sugar and inflammation levels just as much as a high fructose corn syrup. In fact, um, the glucose goddess, the reason I don't say her last name is because she has a, she is of French descent and I will butcher her last name, but her first name is Jessie. I just, because <laughs> I was listening to it on my walk, she was just saying that people for somehow have villainized, you know, sugar, but they think agave is fine. And she said the molecule, by the time it comes down the pike, she said, you're spiking your insulin either way. And we, we can't make one better than the other. It's what fructose and glucose, she said, or what it does to our glucose. And it it's understanding that we think we're righteous because we're putting honey in our tea. And she said, your body just looks at it. And, you know, of course she wants you to have fat and protein before you even have that. And so that's why hers is approach. Yeah. But yeah, I, agave for a long time was what the holy people had. You know, you had agave. Yeah. You have agave, you're fine. Oh yeah, right. It, and, and, and look, what is that? It, the wellness world really doubled down on these things because it sounds natural, but yeah. it, the data is actually different than, than than marketing. So I think we need to look. And, and, and now the big food industry knows these terminologies, not just with agave, but they will use these things to their advantage and they'll slap it on the label, like to say it, because it sounds like it's from the garden and somebody like squeezed an agave. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. From the heavens, the agave, it rained agave. Um, One thing that I think perplexes me in the food world, and I know, uh, you know, because I I come from the journalism marketing side, I'm all about words, but um, in the U.S., they can market things that Europeans, Europeans have a tighter leash on what is sold, what is marketed, what is packaged. And so uh, someone sent me a photo of the Heinz ketchup in the U.S., all the crap that's in it. And the European version mm-hmm. really had some more natural ingredients. So is there yeah. really a difference then in what we could buy and eat from European markets and what we get here? Yeah, I have a lot of European patients and they have a lot more leeway. Like the the guidance that we have for our American patients is has to be a lot more specific and granular because we are there's a lot of junk in our food yeah. that the com- comparable ingredients and that's packaged foods like ketchup like you mentioned or even yeah. soda and other things like that, but it's also 
their, their grain supply. Like I have patients that can go, they're, they're French or they're, they're from Sweden and they can have the wheat and they can have these yeah. things that they would mm-hmm. flare up if they were in the United States. And I have the American patients that go to Europe and they can have a lot more flexibility that they don't have here. Hey kids, let me take a moment right now just to introduce myself. For those of you new to the Lisa Fisher Said Empire, well, I mean, I hope it's an empire someday. Um, I'll tell you that I'm a certified health coach and how I got here. I started taking classes in 2020. Yeah, when the world was falling apart, we wanted to know more about health. I started taking classes online with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York. Great way to do that. Great way to partner with the school with outstanding success outstanding reputation. Dr. Mark Hyman comes and speaks. Dr. Weil comes and speaks. You have these guest lecturers and then you have PhDs and other people who are advanced in their particular study to help you equip people to have better health. Now, no medical advice is given as a health coach, but you can partner with people who are wondering, what can I do to overcome blank? And it's really exciting when that breakthrough happens and it's because you got the knowledge from IIN. For more information, go to the show notes. You can find out more and you could start the rest of your life. You could start changing it today with IIN. It's probably multifactorial for people, Americans that go to vacation in Europe or different countries, because I think, okay, maybe it's their lowered stress levels and like it's 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 multifaceted, but certainly we need to look at food supply and ingredients and the way that the EU is regulating things as being a component to why people can have more variety there. Yeah, because um, I even found my husband tried to find um, ancient grains, Italian ancient grains for the pasta because we're I mean, we do. I tried the. It was a gluten-free option. Maybe it was made with chickpeas and it was terrible. I mean, it turns to mush. It's not a real noodle. I mean, you know, you try to fake it with your family and they're like, uh, 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 I'm not buying it. So we yeah. did use that. And maybe it, you know, we, it was drop shipped from Italy. I don't know, but it didn't seem to bother us. Or again, it could be psychosomatic yeah, that we right, thought yeah. it didn't bother us. Right. Have you ever tried the jovial cassava flour pasta? It's pretty good. Um, I've seen the box, but, oh, so it's with cassava flour. That is an amazing, it's, is it a grain? I mean, it's something. It's a tuber. It's a tuber. It's not a grain. It's grain free. So it's a starch. It's a tuber, but it's not. uh, And the consistency is in my mind, the most I like that you would see like with your normal wheat pasta. So yeah, okay. Jovial's doing some cool things. And there's other brands out there too that are doing grain-free options, like even Siete with their tortillas. Like yes. they're delicious. Yeah. They're still carby. You still have to be mindful yeah. of right. the carbs. But to me, the grain protein that people have reactions to those grain proteins, this is at least a grain alternative that's a whole food based, but just still be mindful of carbs. You don't want to be having copious amounts of these things just because they're cassava. And I'll put, um, of course, all about you in the show notes and your uh, intuitive fasting book, of course, but I'll put things like jovial pasta and stuff like that. So people can look that up. Um, So the clean sweep of my kitchen is no seed oils. You know, I'm so prideful about this, except for one thing. (laughs) And it's mayonnaise. The okay. primal kitchen, it, it just doesn't do what a Duke's mayonnaise does with that crappy <laughs> really? seed oil. Yes. It wow, breaks that's apart. An interesting it's thing. emulsifier. It's something with an emulsifier. Okay. I it's interesting that you said that. I never heard a patient say that. I, I like the primal kitchen, uh, but you know what? I'm not a I have to say this, I'm not a mayo connoisseur and maybe that's my problem. Like you, I, I normally never had mayo because of the I'm ingredients. I'm so sorry. You were sheltered. <laughs> if you've never had Duke's mayonnaise on a BLT on sourdough bread with Arkansas I, tomatoes. do Is that a Southern thing? Because I've never heard yep. of that brand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Duke's. When I found it a few years ago, I found it to make a Southern staple, pimento cheese. And you have to have some type of binder to keep the pimento cheese together. And then I was, I did a deep dive on it and Hellman's I threw out, all the others I <laughs> throughout but then when i made my switch to everything i tried i got the primal mayo and it just breaks apart i mean just when you leave there 
ha- pay someone to go buy a jar of it because I would hate for you to get caught on your social media account buying Duke's mayonnaise. I'll be canceled by the health community. <laughs> yes, yes. And then it's like when Suzanne Summers went and got liposuction. Yeah. Oh, People are like, thing. wait, what? Um, the 30, thigh, 30 days to thin thighs didn't work or what, a thigh master? Um, it's, a sa- yeah. it's the same thing, but I'm telling you, it is so good. And well, it's have you ever oils. made your own mayo? Because I've that, done that before. I haven't done it. And people would assume I do because I'm a cook. And I don't yeah. know why. I feel like it's, it's very it, quick. I know. Very, and so it has yeah. a short it has a short shelf life. Yes, though, it probably. does. You don't make that much, but you just get an immersion okay. blender with some avocado okay. oil. I'll egg. do it. I'll do it. Yeah, it's very easy. I'll and do it today. maybe the consistency is better. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it today because um, there are Arkansas tomatoes. We're recording this in June, and June and July are when our tomatoes are unbelievable. And I do have some, I have a local baker that does a sourdough bread and the local bacon that I can get, oh my gosh, and lettuces. But the only thing that I've lacked is that. Okay, I'll just, I've been afraid to make my own mayonnaise. I don't know why. It's just so silly. But we I'm have a recipe in the in the book. I think it's in the infl- yeah, it is in the inflammation spectrum, which is my second book. We have an egg version and a non-egg version recipe in that book. Oh, a non-egg version of mayonnaise. Yeah. Oh, wait, which book is that you have? The Inflammation Spectrum. Okay. Yeah. So it's newly on paperback, but you can get the hardback version. Both versions would have this, but there's two different tracks in that book. And it's ba- the tracks are based on a quiz that I put in the book. And the quiz is adapted from questions that I ask patients. So based on their score, their inflammation spectrum, where they're at on the inflammation spectrum, they will have one that has egg and one that doesn't have egg. Because egg is one of those healthy foods, really, they're a wonderful food. But the albumin, the egg white, can be problematic for some people. So you could use the egg yolk if you wanted to, but there's still small amounts of the egg white on it. So that's my point about bio-individuality, that even healthy things... Yeah. Like eggs, yes, may not be the best to have it for some people at some point in their journey. Do you know how hard it is to throw a rager around here without with family members who won't eat <laughs> eggs? So that's no dessert. Well, you can do macarons, maybe. Like we have found that we have a gluten free bakery in Little Rock, Arkansas, Dempsey Bakery. It's known all over the country. Um, so maybe she has some things, but it's very hard to serve a dessert or a, a many baked goods. For people, two of my family members, both my daughters cannot tolerate eggs. So, and that's mm-hmm. why even if I have mayonnaise and foods, they're out, you know, they're like, yeah. I can do this, this and this, but, but I'll look that up. I didn't realize that there was yeah. an egg and free option. Totally. There, there are. And, the, um, and not that you like this, but the Primal Kitchen does have an egg free one. I, to my knowledge, they have a vegan mayo as well. Um, the, there are, and then for baking for patients, we have a lot of egg alternatives where you, we substitute some applesauce. We have substitute uh, flax, yeah. uh, flax oil. There's some people that have egg reactions. We have a lot of alternatives for them. Okay, let's talk about one thing that I really, it's challenging for me to get into my diet every day because I really don't eat a whole lot just because of my, as you age, you know, I'm a hundred years old. I look great for a hundred. <laughs> But uh, I'm almost 60. Great plastic, my, plastic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks. Um, at my age, you just don't eat as much and with fasting and I'm just efficient with what I eat. So I don't get enough fiber in my diet because I also like to have proteiny things. And if my protein then trumps out <laughs> the fiber vegetables, how can I get more in what I'm eating? So look, I think fiber is an interesting conversation because- I, I deal a lot with people with that have different autoimmune issues. They have a lot of inflammatory problems, a lot of inflammatory GI issues. So there's a time where they do not tolerate fiber. Uh, and uh, certainly they should be judicious and start off low and slow with fiber. Oh. And that's a bigger point too. Does it make fiber bad? There's tons and tons of st- science to show we need fiber for yeah. health, health of our microbiome yeah. and microbiome yeah. diversity and cardiovascular health, on and on. But even something as universally as loved as fiber by all health world, uh-huh. the health world, even that may not serve somebody at some point in their journey. That would start off low and slow. We have to work on healing the gut. So it's interesting that we even use for a time, we'll use a a very lower fiber protocols for patients while we actively heal their gut. People that have SIBO or small intestinal bacterial yep. overgrowth, that you give them tons of fiber, they're going to react quite
quite miserable. It's not the fiber's yeah. fault. Mm -hmm. It's the gut's overreaction mm -hmm. to the fiber. But we have to meet their body where it's at. But for anybody else, like that's not that caveat. Um, I really would focus on increasing the amount of vegetables that they're having in a day okay. and really focusing on the amount, uh, the higher fiber things. And something that I have patients do that's very effective at increasing bacterial diversity, increasing GI motility, and anybody that just wants to up the amount of fiber, it's resistant starch. So resistant starch is a type of fiber that resists digestion, that is basically food for the microbiome, which is all the trillions of bacteria in our body. And it eats the resistant starch and ferments the resistant starch and makes short chain fatty acids, which butyrate is made in the gut. Butyrate is very similar to beta hydroxybutyrate, which is the ketone that fuels you during your fast and fuels you during the ketogenic diet, which is fasting mimicking. So uh, fiber is an important part to make butyrate. Uh, and it is definitely something that I want to work on over time and getting the, that bacterial diversity and short chain fatty acid production up uh, as a part of improving gastrointestinal health as a whole. So resistant starch is in the form of things like plantains are a good source of resistant starch. Uh, sweet potatoes, great source of resistant okay. starch. If you tolerate grains, cooled white rice. So some of these starches, when you heat them up and then cool them off, it actually increases the resistant starch content within the food. So you've cooked the rice. I didn't know if I had to get it cold in the refrigerator to pull it out because then it can be gummy. I mean, I don't know. It's not beautiful then. So you're just letting the rice cool. Cool. And then that will feed your gut a yeah. prebiotic, right? We're basically saying like a prebiotic. Yeah, but it's, it, it, exactly. It, it behaves very similar to a what you would call a prebiotic. Um, and I'm assuming cooling in the fridge could increase it even more. I've not seen studies that change that looks at the difference between that, but I have them at the very least just cool to room temperature okay. and, and have it that way. Um, and there's even if you don't have those actual whole food meals, part of your meals as your medicine there, you could even do um, like you can buy if you've heard of the brand Bob's Red Mill, they sure. have potatoes potato starch. You just need a small amount yes. of it. You get like, just like a teaspoon, start with that and you can mix it in water and stir it up in water. And that's sort of like this basically tasteless water that you would drink. That's going to get resistant starch in that way too. But anybody that's hearing this information, like start off low and slow. You don't want to have like tons of copious amounts of resistant starch because you're going to blow it and you're going to feel uncomfortable, especially if you have SIBO or dysbiosis or something like that. But the dose matters, but start integrating that into your life. It's a great way to increase fiber. What do you think about then the fiber supplements, the powder that you can put in your drink? Yeah, that's you, fine. Yeah. Is that just like a, a psyllium husk? Yeah. 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 yeah husk, totally. Yeah. You could add those to your smoothie. I mean, you could blend up vegetables. You could put some resistant starch in the smoothie and you can add like a psyllium husk as well. Yeah. That's a great way to add Jerusalem artichokes. I mean, things that people don't normally eat. Uh, that like Jerusalem Archuk is a good example, bring some of those weirder foods maybe that it's not like your regular weekly thing that are very fiber rich, which are great for your gut microbiome. Because I tried the green bananas, no bueno. I mean, not good. And then chicory is another option, not chicory, a coffee drinker. Yeah. So those are the two yeah. I've always thought of. And I try, I cooled my rice once, but I think I put it in the refrigerator and then it got gummy and then I threw it out. So that was my There's attempt. Yeah. <laughs> there is a brand out there that you said chicory there. It's called Ticino, which I, I met. I'm friendly with the person, the lady who started this company. She is a tea wizard and she actually was a part of making a lot of the teas that we drink from different companies. She was the lady behind this in the eighties and nineties, wow. but she started her own company called Ticino and it she uses chicory root with these different interesting flavors so it's a coffee alternative so people want something that's herbal that's caffeine free that kind of has that sort of roasted type yeah. taste that she uses things like dandelion and chicory that is a great sources of prebiotics too okay uh, for those of us that are the clean fasters with intermittent fasting you know i, I try to keep those kind of teas out of that window but it, it, it's, it's so healthful to incorporate teas into your diet, but it's just something, it's one more thing to think about. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I need is. that. 
I need the yeah, dandelion. Yeah. Well, you uh, can you have talk- it towards the end of your fast if you want yeah, to. That's true. Um, let's talk about sleep. Sleep used to be, uh, you know, what it was it my husband would tell us you'll 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 sleep when you're dead you know mm-hmm. yeah oh, come on you can get by with less sleep and uh-uh, i was right again it <laughs> sleep is so valuable let's talk i mean it's a nerdy thing to talk about but it's so important tell me what your feelings on sleep yeah so just one night of poor sleep is linked to, in studies, increased levels of high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker. For people that I'm sure most of your listeners know this, but inflammation is the commonality between just about every health problem. So autoimmune problems, metabolic issues, weight loss resistance, insulin resistance, to brain health issues like anxiety and depression and brain fog, all pro-inflammatory conditions. So yeah, poor sleep is not a luxury. It's a a mandate on our health and we need to give it the respect it deserves. And um, yeah, it's an underlying saboteur because people are not, they may think that they're getting good, decent quantity of sleep, but the quality completely sucks for lack of a better word. So that's another data point that we track on with patients. We track with like a, either a aura ring or a whoop band or something like this to look at their REM and their deep sleep. Cause people could be going to bed, you know, 10 PM, whatever. Uh, and they think, okay, this is all right. I'm getting like seven hours of sleep, eight hours of sleep, maybe even six, but their quality is really not optimized. And that's something that we need to work on. So it's not just about quantity, it's quality as well. How do you increase then the quality of sleep? Well, most people are stuck in when I'm meeting them. They're eating better than most people are, but they are um, they're still struggling. So we are and despite all the good things that they are doing, they are stuck in this sympathetic fight or flight, like overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system. And their cortisol levels are off, their um, their uh, inflammation levels are higher, the gut-brain axis is in that sort of hypervigilant mode. So there's a lot of what we're doing using food, using fasting, using physical activity, using meditation, breath, breath work, trauma work from past trauma to shift the body more into a parasympathetic state which when you start to do that, those are like the multiple levels of entanglement that keeps the body stuck in that sympathetic overdrive. And then over time, they're REM and they're deep sleep. And you'll be able to track this on wearables like the Aura Ring or Whoop or something like that. And we put it all on spreadsheets. You can actually see this stuff improve. So it's not just one thing, but they need to look at the drivers of inflammation levels in their body, I guess would be the big takeaway here is like, what are the things that are keeping your body stuck in this pro-inflammatory sympathetic overdrive. So looking at food, looking at stress, looking at at um, food stress, looking at fasting and the tool the influence that could world on your physiology. And just overall, people are, are really, uh, I would say even their relationship with technology should be looked at. Like look at, yeah, for sure. they're constantly activated blue light and they're constantly in this sort of FOMO inducing content on social media, looking at Kim Kardashian's Instagram and saying, I need to get a Beyond Burger and I'm a failure because I don't, whatever it is, it is just keeping the body in that cortisol hyperdrive, which is just the antithesis of where we, well, where we need to go for overall healing sleeps a part of that. Do you wear blue light blocking glasses then before you go to bed? Yep. Mm-hmm. I even have some like when I'm That's why I was looking patients. for mine yeah. right now. Mine's here, right here. But I got these like, yeah, you can get like, yeah. 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 <laughs> for those of you on YouTube, you can see that I have mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have these. Um, but um, and I have darker ones for the evening. I don't always wear them. I need to be better at that. But um, I try to, I try to so just limit my So do you think during the day we need to wear them? For eye strain, yeah, yeah. For for eye strain, okay. I I've seen it make a difference in myself personally and with patients, especially if you're looking at the screen all day long. Maybe if you're not looking at screens all day long, yeah, you could you don't really need to do that. But with yeah, I, I, for people that are on the on their phones, people that are looking at their laptop all day long on Zoom yeah. calls or doing work, yeah. I would say yeah, get a day ones for the day and then get darker amber ones for the as the sun goes down. Okay. Um, I know one thing I've done is my experiment of one, you know, me finding something out. Um, I believed people for years and stayed out of the sun because 
I, I was going to get skin cancer and die. Right. Mm-hmm. So I abandoned that a year and a half ago and I still, and my vitamin D level still only like 50, but I mean, I, I get outside every day. The other thing, I, the thing I've noticed is obviously it makes my vitiligo more contrast. I don't care. That's totally cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. It strengthened my eyes. My mm-hmm. eyes, Dr. Cole used to be so sensitive and I wore sunglasses all the time. Now I don't because I, I go to get my vitamin D and you get your vitamin D often through your pupils, you know, your eyes. Yeah. Um, now I leave home and don't even put my sunglasses on. Have I strengthened it? Is it like a muscle that I've made it more resilient to the sun's rays? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. People are living inside and there's a lot of uh, problems with that over time, right? We're not getting our circadian rhythm can be inhibited, our just vitality overall. Like we have humans are a part of nature and we just like divorce ourselves from that. And yeah, yeah. I, I health's part of that for sure. Yeah. I, I never thought that it would, I didn't realize that would be a benefit. I was doing it for my vitamin D levels. Yeah. I, I actually, I'm surprised to hear that too. I've never heard someone report it that obviously that's really great. Yeah. But I'm afraid, sense. I'm afraid to say it to my eye doctor because I, you know, I, he'll probably tell me that I'll have, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if he has the same philosophy I do in exhibiting the things that I do, like getting outside, you know, I think if my skin doctor knew that I was outside all day with no sunscreen, that he'd probably shake and twitch and go, you have to wear sunscreen. Well, I haven't worn sunscreen now in years because finally, when that study came out saying that they were carcinogenic, we were all saying, told you so. I mean, we've been saying that too. So what's your thoughts on um, sunscreen and sun exposure? We talked about this recently on my podcast uh, called The Art of Being Well. The the research is, I mean, the environmental working group, you have to hand it to them. Like they're not only they are actually a part of some of the research, but if they're not a part of it, they're at least getting this information out there that's in the scientific journals that's being done. So I have I, I just love what EWG's work is, not just with sunscreen, but also with beauty products and also yeah. with food yeah. uh, and water supply. So I, I, I really want to point people to EWG.org for all that stuff. But the research is is very clear that a lot of the products that people are using on their skin, their skin's their largest organ, and they're absorbing a lot of the stuff in their body that is is carcinogenic and is hormone disrupting and is inflammatory in the body. And we are just and that going back to the EU and Europe, like there are things that are completely legal here in the States that you would never be putting it on your skin if you lived in in a European country. So yeah, it's 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 really sad state of affairs that we have to be this much advocates. But look, I think it's it's good to be empowered. It's good to educate yourself. I wish that things were just a little bit more transparent, so people could have the ability. Because who's sitting there researching all this stuff? You kind of have to be. Yeah. Uh, so to try to help people through conversations like this and um, with my patients, empowering them to know what to look for on labels. But the um, I I do wear sunscreen, but I would just go for a mineral sunscreen, like a zinc oxide, titanium dioxide, something like that, um, that doesn't have these other benzones that are not the healthiest to have. And also, too, to not if you're going to use some one of these sunscreens, to not do the super high SPFs because that's higher concentration of these chemicals. Oh. And the FDA and the EWG's research is really pointing to the fact that it is kind of like a false sense of protection, these high SPFs, because they really don't always do what they're said to do. Uh, so if you're going to ha- do an SPF, do a lower SPF and get something that's clean ingredients. So you can actually go up, go to the EWG.org, their Skin Deep, their, their sunscreen initiative directories and compare what you have with that. And they have EWG verified that is the cleanest based on the research. And then then there's a numbered score and the, the lower score, the, the best. Yeah, uh, that's a great resource. And a nonprofit, and I don't think is influenced yeah. by anybody's dollars. I, no, you know, yeah. I, I know Not that's that I how know they, they present yeah. themselves. Um, another thing I see a lot with women in kind of 40s, 50s, 60s, even younger women, is um, cortisol, adrenal fatigue issues. Boy, that's a tough one because finding the source of why people are 
so tired of the mornings, you know, get the second wind at night. What, what do you think? I mean, what if we look at root cause, what's your guess? It's multifactorial, depends on the person. And it's something that I see a lot. Um, but look, hormones are biochemical emails in a way. And if you have your body and the different systems of your body, like different departments within that company, those emails are not going to be sent appropriately if the body is not healthy. So to isolate and to See? look at the cortisol rhythm and say, well, that's the problem. Well, these hormone dysregulation didn't happen in a vacuum. Like there's a reason why the body is either pumping out extra cortisol or not enough because that's what HPA axis dysfunction is. It's it's a brain-based issue. What we commonly call adrenal fatigue is really the hypothalamic yeah. pituitary adrenal axis. So right. it is cortisol high when it should be low or low mm -hmm. when it should be high or it's always high or always low. And every data point that we're looking at with patients, every day is a snapshot in time. So it's not like every day is going to be exactly like that. But it's just a good window into what the rhythm of that person's circadian rhythm looks like or their endocrine system. Um, so oftentimes I'll tell you a scenario that I see is that when the person is in this sympathetic fight or flight stress state, it's this bi-directional communication line between their, their thoughts and emotions, like the mental emotional side of it and their physiology. Physiologically, they are stressed. They oftentimes have unhealthy guts. They have nutrient deficiencies. They have uh, chronic infections like mold toxins or chronic Lyme or SIBO or something like this, that is dry, driving inflammation levels up. So what's cortisol? Cortisol is an endogenous immunosuppressant. So it's the body trying to create homeostasis to calm inflammation. So then to go and look at cortisol and say, why is my cortisol so high? Well, your body's trying to create homeostasis here. You cannot blame the high cortisol because the body's trying to regulate itself. So you have to deal with the upstream root cause of why you have the pro-inflammatory state in the first place to allow cortisol to calm down. And then psychologically, the other side of that coin, if they have a looking at their relationships, looking at past trauma, looking at their job, looking at their sleep, all these things, these mental, emotional things will raise inflammation levels up just as much as that pie you know, or whatever, that cookie. Uh, so we have to look at how mental health is not separate from physical health. Mental health is physical health. And our brain is a part of our body just as much as our spleen is or whatever other organ. This is so hard. I wanted you to say, all you do is take ashwagandha and you're going to be fine. <laughs> so let's talk. Adaptogens are wonderful tools, right? Used for thousands of years. A lot of compelling science. But I would say it is a tool within the toolbox. But if they have SIBO, mycotoxins, and an yeah. unhealthy relationship, the ashwagandha is going to be a drop in the ocean. Uh, it's a yeah. piece of the puzzle, but it's multifaceted for sure. Well, Dr. Cole, you have definitely entertained and enlightened me. There's, I, I didn't know about your inflammatory spectrum book. I'm going to get that yeah. one too. Inflammation because um, that, that's the tricky part of um, we all, I think, have food sensitivities and we have things that inflame us and it's trying to find alternatives. And I don't want to, as Dr. Uh, Bigman says, I don't want to get my food from boxes with barcodes and in bags. So, <laughs> but if I can make it at home, I can do it at home. So great yeah. job. Thank you so much. Thank Keep so pushing much. out the good words. And um, I mean, hey, thank good you on so you. Much. That's all Thanks I can say. Thanks for having come, me. Thanks come for see having us me. in Arkansas sometime. Hey, I love meeting the Oprah of Arkansas. I'm excited thank about you. this. Thank you. You were amazing. I'm, You're I'm, I'm kind of a big deal is what I like to say. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.